You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Just one week away from the NFL draft, of course. That means it's time to get riled up on the Cowboys with your man, Roy White, and my boy, Tom Ryle. Of course, you can follow him at Tom Ryle BTB, and you can follow me at RW3. And of course, you can follow all the great content for us here at Blogging the Boys at Blogging the Boys and at bloggingtheboys.com. And I am especially riled up today, Tom, because I am extremely excited to have on a guest, uh, a very dear friend of mine, a guy who I consider to be a good friend of mine, but also someone who is now uh, really into the big time. And because of that, I just want to extend my thanks that he was willing to take the time to to come on the show today. And I mean that, Bobby, because the people don't know uh, Bobby Belt is our guest. If you don't know who he is, you can find him at Bobby Belt TX on Twitter. And I will, of course, rattle off the myriad of things that he is involved <laughs> in. But for those that don't know, Bobby has been grinding alongside the Dallas Cowboys for more than a decade now. For a long time in areas that a lot of people might not necessarily have gone or thought to have gone to further their career. And he's done it the right way in a way that is really like inspiring to see. So uh, for those out there that are ever interested in how to do it the right way, Bobby Belt is the guy to find. Not only is he a producer at NFL Network, he is also one third now of the morning show here on the Cowboys home of the radio network, 105.3 The Fan here in Dallas. And he also hosts one of the most downloaded podcasts for Odyssey alongside a Super Bowl winning scout by the name of Brian Broadus. And that is, of course, for love of the star. So I've given you a pretty fine introduction, Bobby, maybe more than you did deserve. But I do yeah, want to yeah. say again, thank you very much for joining us. So with that being said, folks, this is a guy who knows what he's talking about when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys a wonderful follow again on Twitter and a guy who I think you're going to really enjoy the insight of. So getting right to that, Bobby, before I get to what you think or what you kind of have an idea of what they might do in the draft on Thursday, take us through your thoughts of this offseason. In summary, where do the Cowboys stand now heading into the draft and how far have they come to bridge the gap between them and their division rivals and the Eagles, but also, you know, the gaps between them and the best teams that also exist in the NFC and the 49ers. Yeah. I mean, um, I'll, I, I can get to that right after Like, I mean, you can't do that for two minutes and then I don't just like correct what you said. So like I I've did got I miss did I guess I'm wrong no 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 the, in terms of just I'm a case study on how to latch on the coattails and just ride them all the way to uh, certain markers <laughs> uh, there there's no talent involved in this there is uh, there's just uh, finding the right people to leech off of you know and uh, that that's the lesson today kids uh, no the, the this off season I think has been 
if I were to lately, I've been trying to kick around an idea of what's a letter grade for this offseason. For me, it's a, a strong B plus for them. Um, you know, I, I still have questions about where they're at with left guard. Um, I don't love some of the things that I'm hearing them talk about in terms of how they're going to handle right tackle and and how I think they're jeopardizing potentially their relationship with Terrence Steele. So that's some stuff I don't love. But uh, they went out and got a really good pass catcher in Brandon Cooks, and they did it, um, you know, w- without having to give up very much. Uh, in fact, if you go back to October, early November, when they were at the trade deadline, um, they end out saving, you know, two, three rounds off that pick potentially uh, by waiting to make that deal when they did. And then, uh, you know, you've got the Stefan Gilmore trade, which getting him for a fifth round pick is, as as little time as he may have left in this league, which I don't know that he's going to retire next year or anything. It's just he's he's on the wrong side of 30. But getting a player like that of that caliber for a fifth round pick is absolutely fantastic. And so I think they've improved in a lot of ways, didn't give up a lot of capital to do it. Um, and so a, a strong B plus uh, that I reserve the right to drop down to a B if they do boomerang back and re-sign Ezekiel Elliott. So what I love that. And uh, you know, one of the things if they re-sign Zeke Elliott, we're all dropping them a letter grade. Uh just to say that out he averaged, front. He averaged two yards a carry the final four weeks. He is six feet tall. He literally all he had to do was fall down forward to average two yards per carry. Yeah, if you can't find a running back that can do that in the seventh round of this draft, then you probably yeah. don't have a job in an NFL scouting department anymore. Um, probably but not. <laughs> we will get to that here in just a second. One of the things that uh, Tom and I always talk about, and by the way, of course, this is Bobby Bell of NFL Network uh, produ- production fame, but also uh, one-third of the morning show here on the Dallas Cowboys radio network here in Dallas. One thing Tom and I always talk about, when it comes around time to the draft and specifically like how teams value picks is mm-hmm. draft surplus value. And I know, you know, I don't want to bore you with the specifics of it because I know it's not a common necessarily like thought of NFL fans, but I know a guy like you understands it. And I wonder, I'm curious, is there anybody inside the Cowboys organization that talks about this as a philosophy when it comes to the draft? Like I know we hear it from, analytical people right but is there anybody inside the cowboys that actually believes in this philosophy or that gives you the feeling that you know this isn't just outsiders giving their opinions about how teams should perform in the draft or should approach the draft yeah i mean like i think there are a lot of i think the cowboys do a really good job building their a personnel department to have a variety of perspectives and opinions that collaboratively they can come together and say, all right, you know, we, we've got a, a strong group of people who feel this way about uh, this, you know, positional value here about um, uh, these sort of concepts here about where the league is trending here. They've, they've done a really deep dive on uh, analytics. Their analytics department is led by a guy named Tom Robinson. He's heavily involved. Justin Rudd is their video analytics guy. He is, heavily involved in the draft process. Then, of course, they have all the t- the standard measurements of just, you know, area scouts who do the background work and watch the tape and interview the coaches and and find all those sorts of different connections. And so um, I think they've, they've done a really good job of just cultivating a number of perspectives and then delivering it as a fully orb picture to, you know, the Will McClays of the world, Stephen Jones, Jerry Jones, um, even guys like their director of college scouting, Mitch LaPointe, and uh, people like that. And so. Um, I think that they've got a a pretty well-rounded perspective on how to attack things, but I don't think that a lot of those concepts are foreign to them. 
Um, and and now are they are they going to be an analytics darling if they they spend on a first round running back? Um, maybe not. But I I see. I will argue, and I I'm a fan of analytics. I would argue that the one place where you should do it, where you should spend on a running back, is where they're picking. It's the back end of the twenties. That's that's the way, Roy. Because listen here. Don't want to. I don't want to fight it, you on it. I don't want to fight you. I don't have it. to fight. I don't have to fight. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna state it very clearly. Is that if if you get a player of a high caliber at that running back position who is plug and play ready, who is a guy that when you look at obviously the the cost of a really good quarterback on a rookie contract is so much bigger a value than the cost of a yeah. Take quarterbacks out of it, right? Like quarterbacks right, right, are right, own right. Thing. But but any any other position really where it's it's that sort of thing. The the same thing applies to running backs. Running backs are just probably the most unique in that they are the most devalued in terms of what they're able to do on that second contract. And so to me, the only time you're getting the value is in those first five years. And it's such a relatively rare hit rate. I think Peter King had something out this week that said from 2011 to 2015, it was like 31% of players drafted in the first round got second contracts with their team. Um, and so it's already such a dice, you, you know, such a dice throw that if you've got somebody that you rank as highly as you do, B. John Robinson or another running back, and you're looking at the value at the back end of the first, and it's coming as cheaply as you possibly can with a fifth year of control, to me, make the pick if he's that much better than everybody else there, and then just run the tread off him for five years, and then don't re-sign him. Can, can you clarify something you just said about Peter King? When he yeah. said 31%, was that running backs or was that everybody? All positions. Okay, so that sounds like maybe this whole thing about, well, a running back isn't worth it in the first round because the second contract is kind of irrelevant and being overstated. Right. That That's the, that's the concept is that if you're already looking at guys where no matter what position you're picking, two-thirds of them are getting to second contracts, that shows you what a, a crapshoot it can be at times. So if you're talking about you're in the back end of the 20s, do I want to take a crap shoot on a guy that I already valued as a second-round player, or do I look at and go, man, I got this guy that I ranked as the fourth overall player or third overall player in a vacuum, and I can get him as cheaply as possible with a fifth-year option? I think that's really good value. We, Tony Pollard, for instance, uh, is a – if I told – like I've told people this, if, if Tony Pollard got signed to a long-term extension for five years at, you know – three and a half four million dollars a year i think most people would take it they'd be like oh okay sure if, if that's all it costs that's half of that that's just double the value of what he's signing to be on the franchise tag right now that's basically what b john robinson's contract would be would be four to five years at you know an average that comes out to around probably four to four and a half million a year so i think all that is fair and uh-huh. i want to say this but is- i'm still wrong Hopefully, no, no, no. It's it's not wrong. Here's the thing: both sides are correct. Okay, yeah. and here's why: because we're arguing about we're debating two different things. What the people that say take running back at 26 will say about Bijan, and I agree, is that he has an extremely high probability of being an above average, if not an elite player. And if he yeah. is, then he's guaranteed to to provide you surplus value. You pay a guy like that $2 million at that spot in the in the first round, but he's worth potentially on the open market what Josh Jacobs and Tony Pollard just signed, which is $11 million or 10.9, 10.1, yep. which I agree with and is a perfectly fine statement. The point, though, that I would make and that I would still argue 
is that this is the difference between giving up the chance at a home run because you're content with a double. And what I mean by that is the most B. John Robinson can provide you in terms of contract surplus value, if he's getting paid $1 million and he's worth potentially a player worth $10 million, right? A franchise tag. He can mm-hmm. provide you with $9 million of surplus value. Whereas if you hit on a wide receiver, and granted, it's a dicier proposition to hit on a wide receiver or an edge rusher when you're taking the fourth or fifth best guy at 26. But at the same time, you are giving up that potential to earn yourself what might be 18 to $20 million of surplus value by going with Bijan. So that's why I think the conversation is fascinating because I think the people that say take Bijan at 26 and you'll be happy, I agree with that statement. You will be happy, but you yeah. might not be as happy if you happen to hit on another position of more value around the NFL. Yeah, and I I, I totally I, I totally get that. In fact, I I, I understand that limitation there. I guess I just look at it as a, a numbers game where when I look at B. John Robinson and I say, not just with B. John Robinson, and look, full disclosure, hook him like big Texas fans. Yeah, we okay? got to get that but, out there. But that's that's got nothing to do with it here. I, I look, I'd love Roshan Johnson of the third or fourth round too, or Kendra Miller from TCU. Like they're, those are good values too. But to me, I think that when you look at what Bijan Robinson does from a pass catching standpoint, and not just as a swing option who can catch a ball and get you four yards. Like, I mean, he can legitimately run routes and he can be a threat in the passing game. You look at somebody in terms of what he can do in pass protection and the value he can offer there. Um, the ability as a runner, not just, you know, there, there's a obviously a limit to what you can get. Like, hey, at, at the end of the day, you're going to get what you're blocked up. And that's part of the devaluation of running backs. When you see stuff on tape, it's like, no, Bijan gets stuff that he's got a rare ability to find creases and has the contact bounce to get more than typically is considered blocked up for even a guy like Tony Pollard. So I think when you look at, yeah, the, the other positions give you a better weighted value. The problem is, is if I say I've got a 95% chance at a double and that home run chance is 5%, Ugh. Now we're playing such a rough odds, and I'm not saying those are the chances, but now sure. I'm saying you're, now you're playing such an aggressive odds game that I understand that's there, but like it, it, I got a scratch off ticket, right? And I've already won forty bucks, and there's one number left, one thing left to scratch. It's like if I turn this in, I win forty bucks. If I scratch this off and I blow it, uh, but I can win a million dollars, I'm probably taking the forty bucks because I know it's a one percent chance that I'm going to get that million or whatever. And that's an imperfect uh, comparison, but I think it's just. The odds, if Cowboys were picking at 15, I wouldn't want them to take Bijan. I think we're just talking about the fact that you're all the way back at 26 and you're probably five to six players into your second round grades at that point. If a top five player overall is there for you, it just seems like a, a, a inefficient use of resources to just say, well, let's swing for the moon. Okay. Well, so I think, though, we can all agree that the odds are kind of vanishingly small that Bijan is going to make it to Dallas, especially with Philadelphia ahead of him. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so where do you think the value is in the first round for the Cowboys at 26? What what positions or the specific players you really think they are looking at hard? I, I think there's a really good chance that the value at 26 is going to be a tight end. Um, now it's, 
it's funny because I'm I'm conflicted in that like I, they really like Michael Mayer, the tight end from uh, Notre Dame, and he is a really good player. Um, there, there's not many holes to his game, and he's he's a good blocker, and he's you know a tough uh, contested catcher, and you know runs decent routes and everything else. The problem with Michael Mayer is he is a he is the Y option. He is the 1998 version of the tight end position. And if you want to threaten teams down the seam, then you want Dalton Kincaid from Utah. You want Luke Musgrave from Oregon State. You do not want Michael Mayer. And so that's where I, I have trouble with that is that I go, you know, when we talk about positional value again, is that does he really fit the the modern definition of what you look for at that position? But good player, really good player. Dalton Kincaid, a really good player. I think Kincaid, the tight end from Utah, could go before them. Um, but tight end is something that I think will have value to it. I keep wondering if some of these corners, these values at corners might get pushed down the board a little bit. You're starting to hear a little bit of buzz that maybe a Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State could get closer to Dallas than we thought initially. Um, and so if that's the case, that might be the value. Um, but I think for them, they're going to be hunting tight ends. They're going to be hunting offensive linemen, specifically offensive linemen that I think they feel have guard tackle flexibility so that they can change some things up. Um, so a guy like Darnell Wright from Tennessee probably fits that. A guy who can play right tackle, but also kick inside and play guard. Um, Steve Avila from TCU, who may be a little rich at 26, um, but who they like a lot uh, and is is kind of a more athletic version of Ron Leary, um, is a guy that they could plug in at left guard and has experience playing center and, and play three or four different positions on the offensive line. Um, I don't know that the value at receiver is going to be there for him. Um, even if Jackson Smith and Jigba, widely considered the top receiver, is there at Ohio from Ohio State, Rockwell product. Um, even if he's there, I don't know that they consider it as, as good a value as some other players that might be there. But um, I would guess tight end, offensive line, and I mean, obviously, Bijan Robinson got pushed down to you. Like, that's where I think they believe the value would be. Well, I'm glad you said that about Avila because I'm I'm very curious how hard they might want to go after him. And like, for instance, if it's looking like he's going to make it until the middle of the second round, do you think they might look at a trade back to pick up a, a spot in the middle of the second round or maybe trade up from 58 and spend a little capital to get that guy? Uh, I mean, either one could potentially be an option. I would be more in favor of the idea of just moving back than moving up and sacrificing capital. Um, but, I, I mean, look, I, I think that Avila is a guy that, you know, I wouldn't be stunned if there were certain wipeout scenarios for them where he made sense at 26. But I, I, I very seriously doubt that they would get to a point where that's the the greatest value. So if they look at it, though, and go, look, we like three or four different guys, including Avila – and we're sitting here and somebody wants to come up, let's move back. We're, we'll let some people pick over for us and, and leave us with three or four guys we still feel pretty good about. Um, they may do that. And then Avila would be a, a target at that point. Um, maybe Osiris Torrance from Florida, the guard. Similarly, mm -hmm. they look at him the same sort of way and as, as a move back option. But I would, I would not be at all upset if they were to move back from 26 and pick up Avila and some extra capital. That would be a success to me with their first pick. Yeah, I've, I've looked at the draft charts. They could get a third rounder, you know, a second and third rounder in the 40s probably, you know, in the 40 Take range. It. Yeah. yeah. If we're living in a world where B. John Robinson doesn't exist, right, not going to be there mm -hmm. uh, at least at 26, is there a sweet spot in this draft 
that you feel like they will definitely be looking at running back? Third, probably third round, maybe fourth. Um, they, the, you know, I mentioned a little, a little bit ago, they really like Roshan Johnson, the other running back from Texas. They really like uh, Kendra Miller, the running back from TCU. I like Miller. Um, Tank, Tank Bigsby from Auburn, they, they think well of. Um, they also like Tajay Spears from Tulane. So these are all guys that are probably third or fourth round type of players. Uh, Miller, they've shown a lot of uh, affinity for. They've met with him a lot leading up to this process had private workouts with him, like gone to dinner with him, had him for like a two day local visit at, at the star. Um, so they, they're big fans of Kendra Miller. I think that he'd be really good value in the third round. Um, I believe actually Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper's last mock draft that came out, they put Miller in the third round to Texas or, or to Dallas. And so um, it, it's a, a sweet spot might be the third or fourth round. If you're not going to get Bijan. Now I think, look, if Bijan got to 26, I think the Cowboys take him. And I think they look at that as that's the best possible value. There's not going to be anybody else close for them. And so I, I think if he were to get down there, they would pick him. Um, and so I, that aside and that unlikelihood aside, I think the sweet spot for them would be, let's try and find somebody in round three. Let's try and find somebody in round four where we think there's some pretty good depth and, and some pretty good value. So, you know, Tom, Tom kind of alluded to it a bit ago, right? Maybe potentially trading up in the second round. Do the Cowboys see a soft spot or kind of a, a, a wide space, I guess, within this draft where if they could pick up additional picks, say between 30 and 60 or between 70 and 100, that they would be looking to do that? Is there a spot in this draft? I, I think that it's a, I think if they can pick up extra capital third, fourth round, fifth round, you know, that, that sort of third. And I remember we talked about this a lot last year that it was a, like, you know, there were 12 to 14 first round graded players last year. It was like considered historically low, but then they said they had as many second and third round grades as they've ever had. And so I, I think that what you're seeing here is similar to last year, only the top is a little bit more quality than it was last year. Um, and so third to fifth round, if they could pick up capital right in the middle of the draft, I think they'd, Love that because I, I think they believe there's a lot of value where they could get guys, you know, graded around higher than where they picked them. You know, they could take somebody in the fourth that they had graded as a third or, or whatever else. And so if they could find capital there, I think they'd love that. Yeah. Well, you know, we've talked a lot about what they should do. Is there something you just think they should really, really avoid in the first round or, or maybe the first or second rounds? I look, I would. I'm going to, I've said this several times. They have been so right so frequently lately on guys like Tyler Smith and Micah Parsons when everybody was throwing out questions. Even other than the injuries, they were right about Leighton Vanderesh's ability um, and, and the type of player that he was when there were a lot of questions about Vanderesh coming out. Um, and so I, I've, I've come to default to, I'll, I'll, I'll assume they're going to be right and I'll be proven wrong until I see evidence otherwise. Um, but, when I walk into it, I go, those players that I'd have to really trust in, they're no, they know what they're doing, I guess, and I'll have to just wait. It's uh, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame, who's a good player, but I just I don't think he fits the value of what could possibly be there. Darnell Washington from Georgia, the other tight end, who I honestly think may end up being a tackle in the NFL like Jason Peters. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Kalijah Cansey, the defensive tackle from Pittsburgh. If he were to go in the first round of Dallas, I'd, I'd have a tough time wrapping that one around my head or wrapping my head around that one turn the phrase wrong <laughs>
<laughs> of course, that's my man, Bobby Belt. Uh, you can catch him on the Odyssey app. He's got a podcast as well called For Love of the Star. And you can catch him uh, every weekday morning from 6 to 10 there. And I love that you wrote that into your contract that you did not start at 530. <laughs> you start at 6 a.m. What a dream. Well done, sir. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, look, look, I I, ju- I jump on when Nielsen tells me to, not when KTCK does. <laughs> well, with that being said, uh, you know, as we're looking then uh, specifically on the Cowboys and how they approach this draft, one thing that people are always talking about behind the scenes is like Jerry's pulling the strings, right? That's always constantly said. And I think people have come to understand here recently that Will McClay has a lot more say that Stephen Jones is taking charge of the draft and evaluation process and delegating some of those roles. But if the time comes within that draft room where we've got a tie right down the middle, everybody's fighting over who they're going to take, who settles that these days? Um, I mean, look, ultimately Jerry is the call. Uh, But I, I think Jerry has done a really good job of, like you say, just kind of, cultivating the opinions taking taking to a a brain trust and saying guys what do we want to do here um at that point i think they would probably follow their board if there's just a complete split it's all right well we're gonna go with what the draft board says here and so in that sense given that will mcclay essentially builds that draft board i think they would just default to if there was a disagreement in the room where it's a a completely even split and you got like four people and four different opinions they would probably go with what Will McClay says because Will McClay ultimately builds that board. Um, and they would trust the work that they did. The, the 12 months of work leading up to it, they'd say, look, instead of whatever squabbling we have here, let's trust what is up on that board that we all spent 12 months putting together. Yeah. I Thank you for mentioning that because years ago, uh, when I was first cutting my teeth at blogging the boys, I wrote some pieces about how people don't understand that Jerry Jones is a consensus builder mm-hmm. and he works really hard to get everybody on the same page, uh, particularly in the draft so that they don't have a lot of this. And we've, we've had a few breakdowns, uh, but I, you know, I think that's kind of what we see is that they're really going to trust that board. And I think that's the only way you can really go. Yeah, and I, I think that they've shown that, look, I mean, do, do they lean on some positional value sometimes and break the board? Yes. Like, I mean, they they had a player graded higher than Tyler Smith last year uh, on the board. They It was, in fact, I think it was, they still had a first-round pick left. It was Lewis Seen, I believe, the safety from Georgia. Um, but they looked at it and said the, the offensive line, the positional value, and the need, you look, you look for a blend. They were close enough on the board that they went, the need is great enough that the slightly better grade doesn't make sense. And so they, they will find those, those caveats occasionally. Um, but I, I think that, um, you know, ultimately they are, they are just looking to work together with the area scouts and the national scouts and the, the, you know, the director of college scouting and Will McClay and everybody else in that building is all working together to create a consensus that they can lean on and, and that can break all those sorts of ties. Yeah, and then additionally, I th- I think the Cowboys might have an aneurysm to use a first round pick on a safety. <laughs> that just a- <laughs> it, it, it goes it goes against everything in their nature. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, Bobby, we've been cataloging the uh, the top thirty visits and also the Dallas Day visits there at blogging the boys, kind of as they've come down on social media. 
I am curious because I know you've probably done some extensive work on looking at these guys now that you know all their names as well. So Mm -hmm. in looking at that list, who is the most intriguing prospect to you that came to visit the Cowboys either during uh, their top 30 visit or Dallas Day? And then who is the guy that you would say, I would bet the farm this guy will be a Dallas Cowboy after next weekend? Oh, uh, that's a good one. Um, man, it's 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 such an unpredictable draft. I, I'll circle back to the one I bet the farm on because I, I don't know that if I had a farm, I'd bet on I'd bet it on them picking anybody specifically, especially <laughs> where they're picking. But uh, the one that's most intriguing to me that I just I'm still trying to figure out the visit was Zay Flowers, and Zay Flowers is a good player. He just runs counter to everything Mike McCarthy's ever looked for in a receiver. Robert Prince has looked for in a receiver. It's just it's it's completely different. They. They generally, Mike McCarthy, one of the big things he's instilled here when he talks about receivers is he wants guys who play all three positions. He does not want undersized slot-only players. And I think they would, in all likelihood, project Zay Flowers as a slot-specific player. So not that he's not a good player. It's just it, it doesn't fit what they've typically looked for. You know, it's, a, it's like the old uh, Teron Matthew discussion. Whenever people talk about Honey Badger's a great player, it's like, well, yeah, but he doesn't do what the Cowboys like as silly as we may have felt that was, it's the way they did it. And so that's why as good as Zay Flowers is, I'm surprised he was there just because of the way they generally approached receiver with their group of people. Um, So that one was interesting to me. The one I would feel most confident about being a cowboy. Ah, man. I I keep coming back to all the chatter about mayor, Michael mayor, the, the Notre Dame tight end. Um, So that, that one is interesting to me. They the really like your voice. They, they really like Kendra Miller. I, I really felt Good. Like Miller was was going to end up being a cowboy for a few months now. Um, so I'll, I'll say this: if Bijan is not the pick at twenty six, my answer to this is Kendra Miller is the guy that I think is most likely to be a cowboy off that visit list. I like. It. Yeah, I'm I'm stealing this one right from Roy. Uh, is is it wiser for them to take someone who's more like Tony Pollard to reinforce the running back room? Or do they want a guy that was what Zeke used to be, that workhorse that could just go out there and pound and take the beating? I think they understand that this is a uh, dual running back lead now. Uh, Chris Hall, who's in their college scouting department, gave an interview to Mickey Spagnola last year after the draft where he had said some really interesting things about the running back position had mentioned Zeke and Christian McCaffrey were, were probably like the last two running backs that were ever going to get paid like that um, had said that, you know, this is a league now where there's not really a bell cow anymore. So I think that reflects their thought process that even if they like Tony Pollard, I, I think they recognize there's got to be two guys. Now in terms of the skill set that they need, I, I think that they want as complete backs as possible. That's what they love about Malik Davis uh, I think they like, you know, Rico Dowdle, that aspect of it. I think that's what they'd like about Kendra Miller. Um, it's just one thing he can do in pass protection, catching the ball. They like the really well-rounded, complete backs um, who can kind of do it all. Um, like, I mean, they they would rather, you know, take a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type of running back than have somebody who's like a really elite specialist with maybe some areas where they were a little deficient. Um, and so I think that that's one of the reasons why I come back to Kendra Miller is a guy that I think can definitely be here is because he, he is very well-rounded and is not the type of capital investment that another well-rounded running back like B. John Robinson is. Mm-hmm. 
Is there a spot in this draft that Cowboys fans need to watch out for where the Cowboys may target a quarterback? Not necessarily one that's going to take Dak's job, but one that might be able to challenge Cooper Rush for that backup round. I mean, does C.J. Stroud get to 26? I heard they liked him. <laughs> uh, they were interested in him. Um, no, I, I think it's uh, – I still think more like that's a fifth, sixth-round dart throw for them. I, I, I know, like, you know, Broadus was talking earlier today on the draft show on DallasCowboys.com that um, he thinks third or fourth could be the the area. And, and that'd be a little surprising to me. I, I still think – Maybe they go with a Duggan in the sixth round or, uh, you know, a a, a Bajent from um, uh, Shepard uh, in the sixth round, that type of a guy, Tyson Bajent. And so um, I, I think they like a couple of these quarterbacks that could be late day three type of guys. So that would be more my inclination is I think maybe sixth, seventh round. I do think they draft the quarterback. Um, I just think it ends up being closer to like a sixth round type of player. Do you think that Mike McCarthy holds on to one pick he gets to make at some point in the draft just to take a flyer? Um, I mean, he's done it before. That was Ben DiNucci. Uh, that DiNucci <laughs> was his guy. That was his That's pick. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, and so, I, I look, he's not he's not shown, honestly, a, a need to, like, pound the table and get guys for him. I, I, I really – I think a lot of coaches really respect the way the Cowboys have built the the relationship between the scouting department and the coaching staff, which is they have the the scouts routinely meet uh, with new coaches and basically say, you know, the coaches do a presentation and say, this is what we like in these position groups. Uh, these are the skills I like. Here are some cut-ups to show you play. Like, these are skill sets that I like. This is what I want. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. And then the scouts take that information and go, okay, now we are going to go find you the players that fit what you are asking for. We're not going to ask you to evaluate the players. You tell us the skills you want, and we will bring you the players with those skills, and you trust us that we found the players with those skills. But we're going to take your input and bring you the ingredients you want. It's just you're going to have to trust us when we pick the brand. And so I think that that's the say that Mike McCarthy's comfortable with. is just, guys, I like this in a receiver, this in a quarterback, this in, you know, and go down the line. And just say, now that you know what I like, go find me people with that. And I'm going to trust that you guys have found that. That's, a, that's yeah, I love that. Give me that all day long. I, I think that when coaches try to start sticking their fingers in the scouting side of bit, the business is when you start getting bad picks. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I think, look, there's, you know, a lot of people would say maybe it felt like Dan Quinn's had a, a big pull in the room. Dan Quinn, again, does not, I, I think, impose his will at all but i think uh he he goes on the road like he like we see him out there at the iowa state pro day and go to the kentucky pro day and things like that like he works with the scouts really really closely in a way that a lot of coaches not just in dallas just across the nfl don't typically uh and so i think there's a respect factor there and, and they have a better understanding of what dan, dan quinn wants than maybe scouts and other organizations do with other coaches so it feels a lot of times like dan quinn maybe is making a pick and in reality, I just think it's they're so in sync with what he wants and they've been on the road working together that they have a good idea of the type of play that he likes. And so they're able to match it really strongly. But overall, yeah, I think that they've they've done a really good job of taking coaching input and delivering that to them without making the coaches be scouts and talent evaluators.
Well, we cannot wait to see what the Cowboys do one week from now. Of course, we'll have your coverage here on the Blogging the Boys YouTube channel, but Bobby, I'll give you the opportunity for a shameless plug if you are doing anything on draft night. Let the folks know how they can hear more of your fine work. As I told the folks, he is a wealth of Cowboys knowledge and insight. Yeah, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at BobbyBeltTX. Everything's kind of uh, centralized there. And then uh, we'll, we'll be on the marathon. Uh, we'll, we'll be doing the coverage for the draft Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all three days. Uh, simulcast between 105 through the fan of DallasCowboys.com. And so we'll be bunkered up and, uh, you know, knocking things out. But uh, I, I'm looking forward to three weeks from now when I'll be in Hot Springs, Arkansas for four days, three, four days. And I will shut my phone off and we'll have I, I can't wait for the draft, but I can't wait for it to be over as well. I'm, I'm ready for a reset, boys. Well, you deserve it, my friend, as hard <laughs> as you've been working on it. And uh, yeah, uh, hopefully the pages uh, from the printout of The Beast will keep you warm as you sleep in the studio overnight. Uh, shout out to Dane Brugler of The Athletic <laughs> for those that don't know. One of the finest draft previews in the land. But shout again, out, shout out Dane Brugler, shout out Lance Zerline from NFL.com. Those are your two guys that are going to be your those reports, those gentlemen, right? Will be your best friends on Fridays and Saturdays specifically. Amen. Amen. Well, again, Bobby, you can find his work on Twitter. You can hit him up uh for the NFL network. And as always, Bobby, thanks for joining us. Uh Tom. We'll close this thing out, buddy. Uh, thank you guys for staying riled up on the Cowboys. Of course, we will have your pre-draft coverage next Thursday with a show coming up there on Thursday, releasing that afternoon, getting you ready for the draft. And then, of course, all that great content there on the YouTube channel. So, Bobby, thanks again for joining us. For Tom, I'm Roy. Y'all stay riled up on the Cowboys, and we will see you next Thursday. <laughs> <laughs>